Victor here again. If you did happen to listen to this episode earlier, just letting you know that that bonus content where I discuss these topics with Sona, she wasn't able to make the original recording, is now available. Just jump to about 45 minutes in. If you haven't listened yet, then there's um, some additional content, kind of a recap of these same topics. And we even talk about White Lotus a little bit. We finally have that conversation about White Lotus, the HBO show. And that's all past the 45 minute mark. So more content for you, so you'll see the episode looks longer if you did download it previously. And also a reminder that Halloween Kills is coming out this weekend, so check out the feed over the weekend. I'll have my review, as well as my take on that crazy franchise, which I think is 13 episodes up until now, so mostly terrible Halloween movies. Is this going to be a terrible one? Is this going to be a good one? Is this going to be a mediocre one? I will let you know when I post that episode, so keep keep your eyes peeled for that another horror corner more horror discussion for halloween recommendations as well and that's all coming up so enjoy the show or re-enjoy the show if you're coming back for a second listen instrument will go flat on you. Takes extra time and care to warm her up, to make her feel comfortable in your hands again. Jim, we're getting help. Help! Anybody! Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be covering the latest episode of only murders in the building. This is the penultimate episode. Last week, because we covered two episodes, I kept saying there was three episodes to go, but actually there's, was, there was only two, and this is one of those two. And the episode is called Double Time. Next week is the finale, slightly longer, a whole 35 minutes. So this is once again, very bingeable, very easy to consume this show on Hulu. It's become very successful, by the way. It's been growing week to week, and I can see the appeal. It's a lot of fun, been renewed for a second season. Next week's episode, the finale, will be called Open and Shut. By the way, today's episode will be just me. I'll be doing it solo. Sona had a deadline and could not attend today for our our, uh, recording, but we'll definitely be getting her feedback anyway. And if I repost this episode with her feedback, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes and do a repost on the description of the episode as well. So if you do circle back, make sure you check for that, and I'll append it to the end of the episode. Other news you may have noticed over the weekend, I dropped the second episode of our October Halloween series of scary movies and i discussed Candyman, a movie and a tv show lovecraft country hope you had a chance to listen to that and in that episode i was discussing what's going to be the next topic and i was thinking about maybe doing anthology movies i was thinking about maybe doing these kind of horror comedies about relationships and i did watch some of those films but of course completely overlooking the low-hanging fruit the new halloween movie is coming out this weekend so that will be our topic of conversation a review of the new Halloween movie, a direct sequel to the hugely successful film for a couple, from a couple of years ago, and the middle of a trilogy. I wasn't a huge fan of that movie, by the way, but it did get very strong reviews, and of course the audiences loved it. It was the most successful Halloween movie 
of all times. And I will not only be reviewing this film, the current one, but also be talking about the whole crazy, long, and usually terrible <laughs> series of Halloween movies. Is there anything salvageable in there? And what is the weird mythology that has been written and then unwritten <laughs> multiple times within those films? So check that out. It'll be out most likely probably Friday night. And uh, so keep your ears peeled for that. And if you do get a chance to see that movie, it will be available not only in theaters, but also on Peacock at home. So that'll be interesting to see how it impacts the box office. There's been kind of a resurgence in the box office. The Venom movie was massively successful. The Venom sequel that just came out a couple weeks ago and uh, made more money, opening bigger opening weekend, than even the first Venom movie pre-COVID. And then on the opposite side of things, the latest James Bond movie came out and didn't do as well as expected, although it's been phenomenally successful overseas. So the, it's kind of up in the air. Some products are hitting, some films are hitting well, some are not. So it's, I'm curious to see how the box office continues to shape up as people are starting to dip their toes back into whether they're confident enough to go back to the movies. Of course, if you didn't catch up already, last week we had a twofer. We, Sona and I discussed both of the most recent episodes of Only Murders in a Building. I'll be handling the recap by myself here. We'll be adding her commentary later in the week. And one more thing that she will definitely provide commentary for the rest of this episode, I'll be talking about the absolutely crazy train wreck of the show Dexter, which started off phenomenally well one of the absolute best first seasons of a show ever, and just where it went. So I'll kind of break down season by season my personal opinions. I'm really love to hear her feedback, which I'll include here, and of course your feedback as well. Are you excited about the reboot? This is, of course, this conversation is all prep, uh, preparation for the upcoming reboot, sequel, sidequel, legacy sequel, whatever it happens to be, of this Dexter character, which is coming uh, just about less than a month from now, actually. So it's coming up pretty quickly. We will re we will be recapping that show, Dexter, New Blood, Fresh Blood. What's it called? Dexter New Blood. So we will be recapping that show and simultaneously we will be recapping Succession which is coming just in one week. So next week in this same feed we will probably have to have separate episodes because these are two pretty big topics. We will be recapping the finale of Only Murders in the Building and of course where the show is at that point. How did we like the season overall etc. And separately a episode covering not only the season three premiere of Succession, but a little recap, like where we're at up to until this point. Uh, where are the where is the Roy family at this point? Just as a little refresher for everybody out there. And also, uh, Sona is now catching up or almost caught up on the show up until now. And we've already been having some little side conversations, and I'll definitely be including them here to kind of see where she's at with the show leading into season three. And then, of course, the season premiere next week, which I'm very excited for. Definitely one of the best shows on television. So I've been looking forward to this all year. For my recommendation, I haven't watched much recently. I saw a pretty good thriller, and I would recommend watch this without watching the trailer. The trailer to this movie gives the whole thing away. It's on Netflix. It's called Till Death, and it stars Megan Fox. She also has another horror movie coming out this week, actually, on Netflix. So two horror movies. Well, horror adjacent. It's a little bit of a horror movie, but more of a thriller. And honestly, the less you know about this, the better off you are. If you like Megan Fox, she actually gives a very good performance here. I know she's kind of become like, I don't want to, <laughs> despite she's become more of a celebrity than anything else, I actually do think that she's a good performer, and she does a very good performance in this movie. And it's a very interesting thriller, and it's about the complexities <laughs> of a relationship, let's say a relationship that's on the rocks, a marriage specifically. And that's what I would tell you. Watch it 
It's not great, but it's definitely good and it's tight. It'll be wraps up very quickly. It moves the whole entire time. So if you're looking for a thriller with a solid performance, I recommend. If you need a little bit more, I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but this is literally what's in the preview, which I don't recommend that you watch. If you don't want to be spoiled at all, skip ahead a couple of minutes. But like I said, I won't spoil anything beyond the actual trailer. And basically what it is, is there's a marriage. It's falling apart. They go away to rekindle the marriage. And the husband, she wakes up the next morning. She is handcuffed to the husband. They've had like a relatively good evening together. Tried to rekindle things a little bit. He takes her out to like a cabin. It's cold outside. It's like a, their ski cabin. And she's nowhere near the city. And basically she wakes up the next morning and the house has been stripped bare and... Her phone is nowhere to be found and she's undressed pretty much and she's handcuffed to him and she's like, what's going on? And he commits suicide. And now he's literally, she's literally needs to get out of this house with like nothing to get her out of that situation. And she is handcuffed to him, literally the ball and chain. And the film does some pretty interesting things. There's a moment where she's basically wearing his clothes and she, she's dragging him around the floor on top of her wedding dress, which was like basically the only thing she found in the house. And just that motif of uh, this kind of gender reversal in this strange situ uh, murderous situation is pretty interesting. And there's more twists in there, which I will not reveal. But if you're on the fence about it, it's pretty solid. She's very good in it. And she I don't think she gets to act much. And I, <laughs> she doesn't get to show her acting chops as much as she should. She's overly objectified, I think, and partially of that is what she does to herself. But nonetheless, good performance, and hopefully it gets her more interesting roles in the future. But I do recommend it. Solid, not great, but solid. Okay, with that all out of the way, Only Murders in the Building, Episode 9, Double Time. Well, who do we have here? So right off the bat, I just want to get it out there that I was not a huge fan of this episode. Not that it's a bad episode, not that it's not connecting a lot of dots, not that it's not setting a lot of things in place for hopefully what's going to be a very strong finale. There's a lot of work that needed to get done to get to this point. But just as I'm watching it, I'm feeling the show doing a lot of work and I'm not really getting that magic that I got from some of the episodes, some of the some of the strongest episodes. So it's a fine episode. It does a lot of plot, but I just didn't get the same kind of joy that I got from the show. And honestly, that's kind of to be expected. They need to land this plane. They need to define the, the mystery. And we are very much getting into like the twists and turns and the complications of what this mystery is about. Uh, and we're kind of losing the characters a little bit. My personal opinion, didn't love it, but it's fine. And it's work that has to happen. I understand. So the biggest joke of this whole entire episode is that Charles's body double from Brazos comes by to visit him. His body double, his stunt double. And of all things, this is by far the biggest joke in the episode and maybe where all the humor comes from here. Of all people, it's Jane Lynch. <laughs> Jane Lynch is his body double. And basically it's like a similar height, <laughs> hair color, etc. And basically it's kind of, you know, a little puncture of his masculinity that Jane Lynch was his body double. And as a matter of fact, that everybody on the set, even his ex-girlfriends liked her better than him. So it's kind of like this constant uh, ding to his ego. <laughs> And, sub and subsequently, when everybody kind of shows up at the apartment, it's just the same joke over and over again. But every time they see, they're suddenly confronted with Jane Lynch <laughs> and they're expecting to see Steve Martin's uh, character. It's pretty funny. Like, so everybody's reactions are pretty good. And that's primarily the comedy we're getting in this episode. Charles, I need to camp. Okay. 
I don't know what work you've had done, but it's too much. And that is not the response you first want. Is that filler? I'm over here. Ah! What the? What is this face off? Beyond that, we have uh, this continuing unfolding of the mystery. In the last episode, we had seen that Jan had been stabbed in the back, I guess it turned out to be. I thought it was the side. It looks like it was in the back. She had gotten a note saying, I'm watching you. But even receiving that note, she hadn't gone back and looked for help. She had kind of gone back into her apartment, which I found suspicious at the time. And I think there is a lot of suspicion, a lot to be suspicious about here. And I'll come up with my speculations here at the end. But then she was injured. She had been stabbed. She, she said she never saw who the assailant was. Steve Martin had found her, or Charles, I should say, had found her at the end of last episode. And he's been nursing her back to health. So they've been getting closer. This has probably been weeks at this point that we have a gap here in the timeline. And they're getting closer. And Jane Lynch playing this body double, Saz is the character's name, has come to visit him. Meanwhile, there's a, a meeting in the building where they are basically trying to kick out the three podcasters because they're giving the co-op, they're giving the building a bad name, which is something that <laughs> as, uh, Sona actually speculated on as being a potential murder motive, which is still open. In the previously ons, of the episode, they call out specifically to mention that not only was the cat poisoned, but also that the uh, that the cat owner Howard may still potentially be a legitimate suspect in the murder. But it turns out when they're all trying to like basically kick everybody out of the building or the podcasters out of the building, and they're having this meeting among the co-op board, which is basically the people who live in the building. Howard actually, in a way, defends them because says, "Look, they're the ones who found out about the poisoning. They, they did more of investigation of this than the police did." But of course, the head of the co-op board on a power trip used chirps them all and basically says, doesn't matter. We're going to try to get these folks out of here. And it's giving us a bad reputation, which potentially <laughs> is the case. And as a matter of fact, since we already know that Oliver has been having financial problems, his eviction has already begun. So they basically are in the process of getting rid of one. He ends up crashing at Mabel's apartment, or actually starts crashing at Charles's apartment first, and eventually uh, migrates over to Mabel, partially because Charles really wants out of the podcast business. He wants to kind of get his life back on track. He doesn't want to mess up his relationship. It's already led to his new girlfriend being attacked. And there's this tension, right? Oliver and Mabel think the story's not done. They want the podcast. They need it. It's something that gives them some kind of purpose. And simultaneously, the crime, the criminal's still out there and maybe legitimately worry that they're still at risk. And of course, Charles thinks that maybe if he could distance himself from them, he can also maybe maintain his apartment. And all this is going on. And while Charles is kind of drifting away, Oliver and uh, Mabel are, and Oscar to an extent also, because Oscar's there as well. He's, he's basically staying with Mabel continue to investigate. And they kind of start from scratch to go, let's look at the garbage. Okay, there's an example of that. They said, what do we know? This is where we met. And we do like a little recap of the show, by the way. They kind of comment on what we've seen before. This is kind of cute, by the way, the way they do this. Replaying the moments where they met each other. Okay, all right, let's just start at the very beginning. I got in the elevator with these two weirdos and I was rocking this awesome yellow fur coat. Really popped in you, by the way. Then Tim got in the elevator with this trash bag, and he was on the phone talking about the package. And we had that cool connection about your beats. Do you like your beats? Anyway, um, Tim got out of the elevator with So pretty entertaining. And they start to reconstruct the case from scratch. This is when they first saw Tim. He was coming off on this floor, and he had a garbage bag. And they look at his other garbage bags, and they think, wait a second, this doesn't look like his garbage bag. So whose garbage bag was this? They didn't, it has a particular band. So then whose trash was it? Who was he really visiting? And this 
kind of in a sideways way, uh, leads them to start asking, well, who was he dating? And they also, this was on the previously on, something I had forgotten about, but on the previously on, uh, Oliver had said that he had found a box full of these weird implements. It must be sex toys. And they were like, well, how do you use this? How do you use that? And there was a little bit of a gag about it way back, probably like the second or third episode and never mentioned again, but they bring it back here. So what they do is they try to figure out, hey, well, maybe let's find out where these quote unquote sex toys were purchased. And when they kind of track it down, it finds out that it's actually not a sex toy, but it is a an implement. It kind of looks like a cat's toy, by the way. I just paused there because I'm thinking about the cat being poisoned and I'm connecting some dots in my mind. Simultaneously, as they're discovering this, Charles has been telling Jan that he wants to see her return to playing at the Philharmonic. And she kind of says, well, you know, I'm not going to be 100% today and I really don't want you to see me this way. So let's do it another time. So he goes with that. But after he talks to some of his friends back at the building, He's thinking, you know what? I'm not going to let this one go. She's my girlfriend. I'm going to really make a, an effort, you know, to, to not just kind of be demure again. I'm going to I'm going to actually put my foot forward and I'm going to I'm going to go see her perform tonight. And what he finds out when he gets there is that she's lost her first chair. As a matter of fact, he turns out to be sitting next to the boyfriend of this prodigy, this young girl, young woman, not a young girl, who has replaced Jan as first chair on the bassoon. And you can see that Jan's uncomfortable. She obviously doesn't know that Charles is in the audience, but Charles is thinking like, what is going on? And simultaneously, turns out that that toy, back Mabel and Oliver have discovered that that, that quote unquote sex toy that they found was actually a bassoon cleaner of some kind, kind of like a, a cat's toy and a, with a long thread, thread a cat, so you can basically put it down to the bassoon and, and clean inside. So that's where we leave things. So what could this mean? Before we move on to my suspect list, one more thing we discover, they talk to Tim Kono's neighbor and ask, well, did Tim Kono have a girlfriend? And she says, I never saw her, but I heard her. They were very loud in there. So Tim Kono was dating a bassoonist and simultaneously we discover that Jan has been replaced in first chair and that Jan didn't want Charles to see her. So here we are, one episode out. Option one, Jan is the murderer. By the way, I joked that she was the murderer in the very first episode. I'm like, oh, she's too big a celebrity. She's too well known. She is the murderer. I'm calling it now. So maybe I'm right if it turns out to be the case. However, I don't think she's the murderer. I don't think she's the murderer because if she did the murdering via poison and she had a patsy, she had the Demoses who would take the fall and it was an airtight case, why was she trying to re-engage them with the evidence of the poison? Doesn't make any sense. Okay, I don't think it's Jan. But Jan knows something because when she was threatened or kind of threatened by I'm watching you, she didn't go and ask for help. And as a matter of fact, she ended up getting uh, stabbed. Option two, it is the new bassoonist, a young woman, perhaps dating Kono. And then was she the one who was supposed to get poisoned and inadvertently poisoned Kono? Now who would have poisoned her or who would have attempted to poison her, right? And the cat, an accidental poisoning, not related at all. The cat used to wander into people's apartments. Was the cat playing with the bassoon cleaner, thinking it's a cat toy, looks like a cat toy, and then got poisoned? Meanwhile, someone has put something, some substance on the bassoon cleaner to kill Jan or to kill the bassoonist, whoever the bassoonist is. So we're circling around this. I'm, I'm, talk, I'm thinking out loud, but we're circling around this idea that Tim Kona was accidentally poisoned, inadvertently poisoned. The motive was the first chair position for the bassoon. Was Tim Kono dating this young girl, this young woman, and someone tried to kill her and accidentally Tim Kono got killed instead and the cat as well. And then that some, same person tries to silence or threaten Oliver by trying to poison his dog the same way so as to scare him away from the investigation. Probably all those things are true, but then who did it? Is it Jan trying to kill this protege, this young upstart bassoonist? <laughs> 
so as to clear her path, her threat from losing her position? Possibly, but then why is she once again directing everyone's attention back to the poisoning when she can escape if she had another airtight case to make? Scenario two, was she killed by either this young bassoonist or her boyfriend, potentially, since he just popped up here at the end, to remove Jan from that position? And then, in that scenario, was Jan the one who was having an affair? Not affair, but was dating Tim Cohn. So I think that's the... And I still don't have a story that ties all this together, by the way. But I think those are the pieces we have on the board right now. We have the motive has to do with either protecting her current position, Jan, that being a first chair, or this new ingenue trying to remove Jan so that she can get the position, or maybe her boyfriend doing so. And then the question becomes, which one of those folks poisoned the other, or intended to poison the other? And then how did Tim Kono end up getting poisoned instead? Which is a little strange, by the way, because it would make sense that if you put this, let's say that you put this poison on the bassoon cleaner, you obviously would get the bassoonist, and then you could get the cat inadvertently, because the cat would be playing with the, 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 the toy, thinking it is a cat toy. But then why would Tim Kono have so much intimacy with that item? It would have been a very... Unless he was doing... <laughs> unless he was playing the bassoon as well. <laughs> so I'm missing something, and uh, I'm not sure what that is. So anybody... Uh, if you guys have a better theory, if you piece this together, drop me an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com and let me know what you're thinking. But I think this is where, I mean, obviously we're only an episode away, so I think all the pieces are on the board. I'm not sure how they fit together, but I've just watched the episode. This is literally me processing it in real time as I'm <laughs> kind of pausing and repeating myself. I'm kind of piecing, putting the pieces together in my mind just right now. So maybe I'll have a little extra time when I have my conversation with Sona and I'll have a little more of a clear theory on this. But I think it's somewhere in that ballpark. So let me know what you think. Topic number two, Dexter. So what a trajectory for the show Dexter. So a little information about it. Premiered on Showtime in 2006. And the show initially was based on a novel called Darkly Dreaming Dexter from 2004 from an author, the author Jeff Lindsley. Pretty much the first season of Dexter and the novel Darkly Dreaming Dexter are very close together. There's a couple of huge differences, which I'm not gonna go into here. It's too much to discuss. But the storyline is very, very similar. And uh, first season of Dexter being so tightly aligned with that book, the book is weaker in some places, stronger in other places, and the series similarly stronger in some places, weaker in others. But the two together are very interesting companions, both really, really strong, very strong works. And what a trajectory this show went on because it is probably one of the most well-regarded, even at the time, critically raves, raves for this show. So critically, one of the most well-regarded first seasons of a show, and definitely by the fandom. You, anybody who's seen the first season of the show will tell you that's one of the best first seasons I've seen of a show. And I agree. And then I know there's a lot of fans out there that try to say, well, it was good until that terrible, terrible finale, one of the most despised finale of all times. People will say that to you, but boy, this show was not good for a really, really long time. And I'm actually going to break down season by season and do a similar thing once I get uh, Sona here. I'll get her feedback for her opinion on each one of these. Similarly, and, and I gave up on the books pretty early on, I think maybe the third season, I mean the third book, I should say. Similarly, these books went really, really bad. I mean, there are, and in a completely different way, than the show did. At one point, there was uh, communing with a supernatural being, like a prehistoric supernatural being, uh, just like It, uh, the Stephen King's uh, book It. And I'm like, what? what is happening here? <laughs> like, here was a very grounded horror novel about a serial killer who basically targeted other killers as a way to allow himself to both be a serial killer and yet 
uh, feel like he was not a bad person. Uh, and this was something that he didn't even understand because he was a sociopath. It was something that was ingrained in him by the training of his dad. That's the basic premise of the show. And to end up in supernatural forces, just minor spoilers for the books because I doubt most people are going to read them. And other than that first book, maybe the second one, the sales on those books are not very good, to be honest. But at some point, the kids have become possessed by this uh, and they're serial killing together. <laughs> it's distasteful and just crazy. It's just, I don't recommend it. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if you're a fan of those books. Please make an argument for why they're any, they're worth reading. And I don't want to disparage the author completely because, man, he did a great, that first novel was great. But unfortunately, that's where, where it's at. But the show gets this uh, green light from Showtime. And I got, I'm just going to put it out here right at the start. What I really have a huge block when it comes to watching Showtime shows as opposed to HBO. I'll always give an HBO show a try. And even if I don't love the first season and they come back for a second season, I'll often give it a try. And maybe to its detriment, I tried this with Westworld. I love the beginning of what I thought the Westworld premiere um, pilot episode was incredible. Uh, I absolutely was 100% on board with Westworld. I had kind of lost interest by the end of the first season. And then I just kept plugging along. Well, you know, HBO gave it another season. HBO gave it another season. And now they're giving it a fourth season. And I cannot believe it because the, 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 there's absolutely no reason to have yet another season of Westworld. Nothing happened last season. Uh, thematically or character-wise, just completely a wasted season. And I don't know why we're giving it another uh, additional time. I, I, I really don't know. But that's one example where I probably shouldn't have invested in that show because I was trusting the HBO brand, as opposed to Showtime, where in general, it's a, what I just described about happening with Westworld is my general experience with Showtime shows. These shows stay on the air for way too long, whether it's Weeds or whether it's Dexter or whether it's Homeland. Homeland, by for my money, is one of the absolutely best first seasons of a show ever, just like we had with Dexter. And I feel like they get that first season really buttoned up perfectly and it's really, really strong. And then Showtime says, okay, how do we get 10 more seasons like that one? And whether it's The Affair, another great first season of The Affair, by the way, a show that went you know right into the crapper. <laughs> These are my opinions. Regardless, I don't invest the time. Even if I get a good first season, I'll just dip my toes in there here and there because I've been burned so many times to think like, okay, after that first season, no matter how strong you make that first season, you then try to make it into like a procedural of some kind and it just doesn't work. And, and instead of just being like Dexter, for example, could have been a great three or four season show. Uh, and we'll get into that when I start breaking down those seasons. But wow. Like, what a missed opportunity to not really make a great package of a show. Like, just a perfect set of episodes. And you look at something like Breaking Bad. You look at something like The Wire, right? That had relatively limited runs. But in retrospect, people love them because they're just so tight. There's just, like, no fat on those shows. And why not make a better show? And maybe that's the world we live in now. And I think Showtime's still in an old model where they're thinking about, like, syndication. Like, maybe we'll run this show in syndication someday. Which, of course, now we have streaming. Uh, much better. I mean, Breaking Bad will be evergreen. And The Wire, right? How many people are rediscovering The Wire, discovering The Wire for the very first time? Every few years, you, all of a sudden, you hear all over social media, everybody's watching The Wire at the same time. Oh my God, you know, this thing that happened in the real world, it happened on The Wire, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and of course, you know, Breaking Bad, once again, completely evergreen. People will be watching that forever. So make a good show and people will watch it forever. Anyway, so that's my digression on why I don't overinvest in Showtime shows. And they really have to change their show running to convince me otherwise. All right, so spoilers for Dexter. Do not listen to this. I mean, don't, do not listen beyond this point if you haven't watched Dexter. Because I really think you should watch the first season of Dexter, absolutely. And you could pretty much quit after season one. Season one is really, really great. It probably won't make sense to jump into the new show <laughs> and listen to our recaps if you stop at season one <laughs> because a lot of other stuff happens in between but 
Season one is almost so perfect that you really don't need to see beyond. If you do go beyond season one, season one and season two. Two is still very, very strong. So that's this is this all pre-spoiler. And once but once again, probably not enough information to get you all the way to the to the this reboot that's coming next month. So with that out of the way, spoiler warning, I'm going to spoil the show if you haven't seen it before. Season one of Dexter from back in 2006. We get introduced to Dexter. We find out his general modus operandi, which he is, was adopted. His persona, this this violent serial killer persona was born uh, basically at the him witnessing the murder of his mother. Pretty grim material by the, by the way. But believe it or not, the show's actually pretty funny. Not funny in Dexter, has no sense of humor. He's a complete sociopath. But funny in seeing him trying to act like a person. So it's almost like one of those shows where you have like an alien pretending to be a person as well. There's a lot of straight-faced humor in putting these... This He's always a fish out of water is basically what it comes down to. But the show is actually very intelligently, especially early on, he's making a commentary. I think about the dialogue that Quentin Tarantino wrote in Kill Bill Volume 2, where he mentions the fact that with other comic book characters, that the true identity of somebody, Bruce Wayne, is the true identity of Batman. But Batman wears this costume to protect people around him so they don't know that he's Bruce Wayne. So he could be anonymous when he's fighting crimes. The idea that he raises there in that dialogue is that Superman is the real person. It's the opposite, right? Superman is the real person. And when he pretends to be Clark Kent and he pretends to be bumbling and to have no confidence and to screw up and to need glasses. That is a performance. And this is an alien performing like he thinks people are. He looks around at himself, looks at other people, and he's performing that. He's trying to act like he is a person. And that, to a large extent, is what's appealing, especially in that first season of Dexter, that there's a lot of comedy in him misunderstanding the cues that a regular person has. There's a lot of comedy in him being, you know, investigating crimes and committing murders at the same time. There's just a, maybe not comedy, <laughs> bad word, but irony there for sure. And on top of that, there is this commentary. He has a running commentary. He's trying to be a dad. He's trying to have a family. He's trying to have a girlfriend. And he's performing what he sees. He's like watching these things come back at him. And he's performing these things. I had a conversation with Sona in this feed. You can track it down. Where we talk about Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler has some of the same dynamic. Where you see Jake Gyllenhaal acting like he's a regular person. And he's ambitious. And he's this and the other thing. And he's a total sociopath. But he's misunderstanding the cues he's getting. And there's social commentary there. And is here as well. So all this is happening in season one. And we're developing these characters. Very fascinating dynamic among all these characters. He has very important to him. He has a girlfriend. Very important to him. Her girlfriend has children. He comes. She comes from an abused uh abusive relationship and he has to kind of control himself to not seek vengeance on these people because it's too close to home rita his girlfriend he has his sister very important to him deborah played by jennifer carpenter and he's haunted by his adoptive father deborah's natural father played by james remar so he always has his adopted dad like an angel on his shoulder guiding him reminding him to be careful so he doesn't get caught to only to to make sure you have to verify you have to prove you have to follow somebody if you think he, if he thinks he's a killer needs to follow them and prove out that that person is truly a killer and that's his code that's dexter's code dexter's code that he has to live by this is all being developed and then all of a sudden we have this ice truck killer we start seeing these bodies drained of blood women's bodies unfortunately but almost like posed you know dismembered posed in these kind of uh, arrangements and at first dexter is completely fascinated by this because he's basically saying oh here's a serial killer of some skill so really kind of uh, arouses him in a way so he is simultaneously tracking this killer, but kind of admiring this killer because it's so close to what he does, but kind of a killer unleashed, unbridled from this these rules that he has to follow. And it's a really seductive thing for him. So he's chasing them. He, in his mind, is saying, I'm going to capture this person because he's like the worst killer I've encountered. But simultaneously, maybe 
envying him a little bit. This investigation becomes pretty intriguing because it turns out not only is he fascinated by the killer, but the killer is taunting Dexter. He's leaving him clues, basically saying that I am doing this for you. I know who you are, which of course threatens Dexter and simultaneously intrigues him. All this culminates in the fact that it turns out this is actually Dexter's long lost biological brother who has been tracking Dexter and now taunting him. And Dexter's torn. He really doesn't know whether to turn him in, doesn't know whether to accept what he is. And simultaneously, Deborah had already started dating this suspect. So she's at risk too, because we know that it's inevitable that it's going to have to be a choice between one and the other. And then once again, since I'm telling you we're in full spoilers, Dexter kills his brother, biological brother, to save Deborah. So he makes a decision to go with nurture over nature. And there's a sense at, in the closing moments that he knows that this was a false dichotomy for him, basically, that he, that this is inescapable for him. Everyone else would probably thank me if they knew I was the one who drained him of his life. Good job in there, Dex. You sliced him up good. In fact, deep down, I'm pretty sure they'd appreciate a lot of my work. This is what it must feel like to walk in full sunlight. My darkness revealed. My shadow self embraced. Yeah, they see me. I'm one of them. In their darkest dreams. That is how the season wraps up, and it's really just a complete thought. It's one of those rare seasons that really just really didn't even need a second season, and maybe they didn't think they would get a second season, considering there was some controversy over the amount of violence in the show. But no, there was controversy, but there was also massive, massive ratings. And that led us to season two. So after the massive success of season one, we go into season two. Briefly, this is the one where Dokes is on to Dexter. Meanwhile, Dexter is using the cover that he's an addict, which he is, by the way, for his serial killing. But he actually joins Narcotics Anonymous. He's This is also where he meets his sponsor, Lila. And this is also really kind of building off of season one, a really strong season, maybe almost as strong as season one until the end. You really start seeing the weaknesses of the show coming late in this season. But the whole idea of him covering up his murderous addiction with this narcotics addiction and the, the uh, parallel issues between those two. Meanwhile, Dokes is on his tail, closing in. He knows he's the killer. He just wants to try to prove it. And then Lila being this kind of facilitator in a way, this is all really interesting until it kind of really can't land the ending. As a matter of fact, the finale here is pretty terrible. But overall, this is a strong season and maybe consistently stronger than season one. And there's still some interesting thematics here to be had. Like I mentioned, season two, still very strong. Then we get to season three. All I got to say is Jimmy Smits. And you know which season I'm talking about. And boy, this show goes off of a cliff in quality. And the main reason, it's not Jimmy Smith, by the way, who's not great in this role, but he's not the problem. The problem is the way the character is written. Dexter is suddenly taunting him. And at one point he wants to mentor him to be a serial killer. And then he turns on him and then he's taunting him. And it, I mean, Dexter's a sociopath and we've seen consistently across the show and it continues after this season. So it's completely inconsistent in this season. He's, he's acting like he's taking pleasure in taunting Jimmy Smith, which is completely ridiculous. Uh, Dexter, uh, the character we know up until this point, would simply quietly 
subtly, not taunt him. He would just get rid of him, kill him off. And he would do it subtly. He'd pretend to be his friend until he needed to off him. So this is all just strange character machinations and the plot is not compelling. It's actually very boring to watch episode to episode. And on top of it, Dexter doesn't develop at all and the, the plot is pretty weak. So definitely skip season three. If you skip the entirety of season three, you really miss nothing. It's really a nothing season and maybe the worst of all the seasons. And that's saying a lot because there's a lot of bad seasons to come. And then comes season four, which is quite the rebound. There's a lot of bad episodes in season four, but all I have to say is John Lithgow here, and that will immediately, if you've watched the show, and hopefully you have, there's a lot of spoilers here if you haven't, John Lithgow plays one of his targets over the course of the season. And even though, like I said, a lot of unevenness, a lot of weak episodes, once things start clicking where Dexter discovers John Lithgow, also a serial killer, but also having successfully hidden himself as a father, as a husband, basically everything that Dexter fantasizes of having this regular life. For him being able to stalk him and watch him and then think about what it means for him and what potentially he couldn't be is all really interesting. So second half of the season and pretty much whenever we have Lithgow in the episodes, this is a very strong season. So big bounce back from season three. I actually kind of went into season four and there's a lot of some weak episodes early on. So I was kind of thinking, oh boy, a lot more of the same, but things really start to click again once Lithgow shows up right through the end of the season. This is the season where Lithgow ends up killing Rita in the finale. And that obviously is devastating to the story and leaves Dexter in a really precarious place. Next comes season five. It's the repercussions of Rita's death. <clears throat> but the thing that'd be most memorable if you've seen this season is Lumen, played by Julia Stiles, who had been abducted and tortured and potentially to be murdered by um, like an adult fraternity. Okay, this whole cult thing is a little weird. And the revenge plot at the end is pretty corny. And this is probably the weakness of the season is the way it wraps up at the end. But it's very strong in that middle part as Dexter starts his relationship with Lumen. I actually like this. I think it's pretty strong to be able to, once again, he can be himself around her. She's seen him in action and she has a sympathetic view of what he does. She doesn't kind of realize that he's been doing this for a very long time. She sees him as a vigilante not so much as a thrill killer, which he also is. And it allows him to see himself in that light. So this is interesting too. There's some interesting psychology here. Beginning the season pretty weak, the ending very weak, but the middle part still pretty strong. They do some good work here. It's a salvageable season. And this leads us to season six. I bet you don't even remember that there were so many seasons of this. <laughs> yes, there was. And there were even more. This is a truly horrible season. As a matter of fact, I know my nephew, for example, tells me that this is when he dropped out and I don't blame him. It's really, this was a terrible season from beginning to end. I guess the twist of the uh, identity of the killer almost immediately, uh, which isn't revealed until very late in the season, but is barely hidden at all. And it's just incredibly weak and really a waste there. Uh, although they keep us on the hook because there is one valuable thing that happens at the end of the season is that Deborah shows up as Dexter is killing the apocalypse killer. And pretty much at that moment realizes Dexter's true identity. Now season seven, even more sloppy, I barely remember the season, and as a matter of fact, I had to just read a little bit on Wikipedia to even remember what happened here. I was really hate-watching the show at this point. And I do remember one thing clearly, which is that Hannah McKay shows up, who's at first a target for Dexter and eventually becomes a love interest for him, which in and of itself, just that, as contrived as that is, kind of gives you a clue. I mean, he try she tries to kill Deborah at one point, and Dexter still has a romantic relationship with her. As a matter of fact, gives her... The, his son to raise. I mean, that's really what happens here. There, there's a lot of melodrama. There's You think that, you know, like the, the hook in this terrible season six is that we've like introduced Deborah to his true identity and that that's going to be a huge point of friction. And there is definitely, but it's not ever resolved in any kind of way that makes any sense. The way she 
accepts him sometimes. And then she has this, basically is having a slow motion nervous breakdown. She can't work at the police department anymore, uh, eventually, uh, because of her guilt. And there's so much drama and melodrama here. The break point in this longer plot that actually spans these two seasons, the dividing line here at the finale, and it's a big event, is that La Guerta has been circling in, has been closing in on Dexter, trying to clear Doke's name, who had been framed as uh, the serial killer. And this has been ongoing for seasons, and she started to sus suspect Dexter eventually. By the way, just quick aside, because it's so profound, is that probably starting around season four and going on forward, these people, this was so lazy, <laughs> the way they wrote these cops. Miami cops must be, according to the show, the absolute worst cops in the world. There is literally moments, unintentionally comedic in the show. There's some intentional comedy in the show, by the way, but unintentionally comedic scenes where Dexter basically has just killed somebody. He walks behind his kill room curtain, the, the sheet that he has up to the plastic sheets. The police show up, he walks back in and he's just like, oh, I just heard it on the scanner. And this doesn't just happen once. This happens pretty regularly. The fact that no one ever uh, interrogated him or investigated this it is crazy. I mean, and in season uh, six, I guess it was, there's literally a moment where he picks up his phone, his regular phone, not a special burner or something, calls in one of the murders to 911. I'm like, no one's going to listen to that 911 call. No one's going to recognize his voice. <laughs> okay. So this is where I'm at with the show by the time we get to like season five, six. It's, and obviously they don't care anymore. They're like, yep, he'll get away with everything. No one's going to investigate. No one's going to ask questions. But all that being said, finally, La Guerta, being the only person with any degree of common sense, starts to circle in on uh, or close in on, on Dexter. And that's the culmination point of the season is that. Deborah is there. He's in flagrante. He's about to kill somebody. He has decided already that he's going to kill La Guerta, which obviously makes him a bad guy, unquestionably. So there's no there's no ambiguity here anymore. And this would be actually potentially the moment where you know the rubber hits the road and uh, and Dexter has to accept himself or whatever. But that's not what happens. Deborah kills La Guerta to protect uh, Dexter, and this basically is the downward spiral that Deborah goes on in season eight. And then finally, season eight, the finale. Oh my goodness. Can you believe this thing lasted eight seasons when it should have lasted two or three at, at most? So what do we watch? We watch Deborah have this slow motion breakdown. She is working as a private security. Dexter's, meander and Dexter's looking for another killer. There's a psychiatrist who knows about him, who is also being stalked by a serial killer, who's killing her other patients. They're taking pieces of their brains. I don't know. It's all pretty convoluted. But what's so shocking about the season, by the way, not that some of these parts wouldn't fit somewhere else. It's just that there's so much they need to do and they are going like it's procedural. It's still a procedural in season eight. As they're going down to the last four episodes, the last three episodes, it's still a week to week procedural. He's going on his kill. He's following this other killer. At one point we think, well, maybe this doctor is involved in this conspiracy some way. Now she's suddenly a victim. He's trying to protect her. And I literally remember watching this and I've never rewatched it, by the way. And I don't recommend you rewatch it either <laughs> if you, you don't have to. And thinking to myself, I'm like looking at the number of episodes that are left. And I'm like, we're we're like two episodes away. Like we're still like trying to track this guy down. And then li literally in the finale, in one of the absolute worst or series finales of all times, <laughs> the show suddenly ends with Deborah dying and he kills, he catches the serial killer, kills her in his, uh, while he's being held. He murders this person right in front of everybody's face, basically. And once again, no one finds any of this behavior suspicious. He still is beyond reproach. He's just a good upstanding cop. I think there's a moment there where Batista kind of goes, huh? 
And this is kind of a moment where there might be some questioning as to how that whole sequence of uh, events broke uh, played out. But here we are at the very finale, and uh, Deborah's dying, and uh, there's a storm coming, and uh, Dexter throws her onto the boat, the boat that he's been using to dispose of all these bodies the whole entire time, and he he drives right into the boat with some absolutely horrible CGI, and he's going to die with his sister. And the storm comes, and you know they smash into the waves, and end of story. Except then we cut to somebody chopping some wood up where in Alaska or somewhere. I can't. I don't remember exactly once again. <laughs> have not revisited this episode. Please don't. Um, you know, correct me if you want to. Send me an email <laughs> if you have more clarity on this. I'm not going to go and rewatch the episode. I might read the Wikipedia article, but that's about it. And uh, and that's Dexter. Dexter has escaped and he's being sought out, but he crossed the entire continent and went back to Alaska and the end. Dexter's got to, I guess, chop people up in Alaska and uh, pay his make his penance. Oh, and of course, uh, his son son is uh, somewhere in Central America being raised by a different serial killer. <laughs> and the end. <laughs> Very satisfying, right? <laughs> anyway, I, it's, it's just totally insane. But that's what we get. So if I had to rank these, obviously episode, season one is nearly perfect. It's a great season of television. If you can handle extreme, extreme violence, by the way, there's a lot of violence against women, some bodies specifically. And obviously if that's not, doesn't sound tasteful to you, there's no doubt that, you know, there was some controversy, especially in the first couple of seasons over the amount of violence in this show. And I can understand this is really not that deep a show. It does have some, I think, interesting themes in it, but it's not that important a show by, by far. And if you find this material really distasteful, hey, I I completely understand. For me, I did find it thematically interesting and I don't mind gore. Like I mentioned before, I actually like horror movies. If the gore is in the context of the show, if it's not, I don't think exploitative. And here it rides a fine line, but I don't think it's exploitative. I do find it interesting and I don't find it's gratuitous. I think that even the most uh, perverse things that happen, especially in those first few episodes, first few seasons, I should say, serve the story. But like I said, I can completely understand this being completely distasteful to other to folks. But if you're okay with that, if you enjoy this type of thing, it's a very good thriller. Season one is nearly perfect. Season two picks up right from season one and very strong throughout. I guess then I'd have to rank them. This is all a big drop in quality, by the way. But season four is pretty good, especially the back half, very strong. Season five, pretty strong in the middle there. And boy, that's it. Season three is terrible. Maybe the worst of them all. Season eight, horrible. <laughs> if not bottom, near the bottom, they're competing with each other and season seven and six are right neck and neck. So you're really talking about collectively three good seasons by taking parts four and part five combo into one strong season and um, five bad seasons. <laughs> but that's the Showtime recipe. It's uh, if we got one or two good seasons out of 10, we're going to keep it on for 10 years. <laughs> So where am I with the, the reboot? Is this thing going to be worthwhile? Uh, I actually think, you know, I think back on that first episode, you have a really tight season of TV. You can make a very good show out of this character. It's a very interesting topic. People obviously are fascinated by serial killers and, and these procedurals in general. So I definitely think there's potential there. There always is potential for anything. Um, but I think especially here, but if this kind of becomes more of the same, especially like we saw in those last two seasons, I might not even make it all the way through. But our current, our current plan is to recap this show too. 
Sona and I. And I will definitely be getting more feedback from her. Check back in the feed after you hear this episode. Check back later in the week if I get more. If I get her feedback, I will definitely include it. It'll be at the end of the episode. Check the show notes for timestamps. And if you listen to this episode again later, looking for that content, I will put a header on it. So I'll basically announce that it's been reposted and give you the timestamp too uh, so we can have that conversation. Because she's also a big fan of Dexter and she also thinks the show turned into crap. (laughs) And she's not alone and I'm not alone. I'm sure many of you feel that way. And as the train passes by, you may be able to hear that in the background, it is basically time for me to wrap up. All right, everybody. So this is the bonus content I mentioned in the episode. I was able to get back together with Sona. Hi. I did the recaps in the main episode. Um, and I but... haven't heard them yet. So it's a mystery <laughs> to me what you think. <laughs> it's understandable, which is good because then you... I'm going to actually ask you for your theory on what the case is at this point. And I speculated in the episode. So okay. you're going to go in fr- fresh. So that's good. Okay. Uh, without being tainted by my opinion, basically. Okay. What was your general opinion of the episode? And then I want to also know what your theory of the case is at this point. Okay. My general opinion of the episode is it's amazing to me that I like this show so much considering it is packed with people that I generally roll my eyes at <laughs> Yes. with the introduction of Jane Lynch this yes. week. Yes. I know many people love her. I understand that. I don't actively dislike her, but I just don't love her. So yeah. Martin Short, Steve Martin, I'm neutral on Nathan Lane, Jane Lynch. Now like it just is a collection of people that I would never go out of my way to see in anything, but I am enjoying them here. And I do enjoy the show still. I did mention the fact that, by the way, they use her well. I think it's very funny, this idea that she was his body double, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. which, you know, she's very tall and she has white hair, right? So Mm -hmm. I did like that. And it was a way to further deflate his already fragile ego. Mm -hmm. But I totally agree. And I didn't call it out there, but I'm glad you circled back to it here because once again, I don't dislike her. I think she's actually a talented person. But but honestly, if someone says, watch this new comedy, it's pretty good. And it stars Jane Lynch. <laughs> I'm probably not going to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> so, right? but, uh, but they, so, they used mean, her honestly, well. I feel like they're going to bring in Jennifer Coolidge next. So I could just have this, <laughs> like check off all the boxes on people that I would never go out of my way to see that other people love. Um, <laughs> well, there's still that, one that episode left. Hold on. She seems like a nice person. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> With that in mind, though, I did enjoy the episode. I thought it was very funny how Martin Short tried to just wrap everything up with a neat bow in the very beginning of like, Mm -hmm. turns out they weren't the murderers after all, which is cool because now you can still eat their chicken. (laughs) I thought that was very cute. I thought, you know, very interesting development, you know, the key development here with Jan. Um, I have to say, I thought, I never thought that was a sex toy, but I did think it was a cat toy which was leading me in Mm -hmm. a whole other direction as to maybe like possible suspects and what could be going on. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I had been, and I think we kept forgetting to really talk about that, but I had always been thinking it was a cat toy and that was going to be some kind of vital clue later. I honestly forgot about it completely. I mentioned it and I called it out in the recap that I did earlier that uh, I was like, it's a good thing they put that in the previous account because I completely had forgotten that whole thing. (laughs) Yes, agreed. But uh, but yeah, they circle back to it here. And that was planted so early in this, maybe episode two. There's so many gags, once again, in the show. I, I mean, I just thought it was another random gag. I had no idea that they were really seeding like a, a main right. clue early on in the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, And I had my, my general impression, just to let, fill you in, was that I, I really didn't like the episode that much. I thought it did a lot of work. 
which was good. You know, the, some of the stuff was funny, like the co-op board, I call that, that you were actually thinking that might be a murder. <laughs> that might be a part of the reason that someone was murdered was for the, the, you know, the, the bad reputation of the, the co-op. No, no. Hey, <laughs> I didn't think that's why anyone was murdered, but I thought the threatening notes. Oh yes. Oh, oh, good point. Good point. Yes. Board because they didn't like the bad publicity and see, they didn't. Well, so, that's what I mean. But that's what I was calling you out that 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 it was like that was actually circled back to that that it definitely yeah. was everything you but said. But I didn't think it was actually making anyone homicidal. Like, true. You know, just <laughs> just true, upsetting true. them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, I would, there were. wouldn't have been a reason at that moment to kill anybody for that. Yes. For that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was one thing I mentioned, and yeah, I wanted to circle back to that because you had called it out earlier, and then there was the clue that you mentioned. So the last thing is, what is your theory of the case? I have a theory and tell me what you think. And you already touched on it with the cat toy thing. I haven't been good at guessing lately. And so, and I think also with this type of show, I don't think about it too hard because mm-hmm. so much of it is like just in the service of setting up jokes, I feel. But mm-hmm. um, I, I find it hard to believe that Jen would sleep with Tim Kono. Mm-hmm. So I think as obvious as that is, and it's certainly possible, but it just doesn't seem right to me. Um, I'm wondering if there's another woodwind instrument play. Is a bassoon a woodwind? Um, yeah, I think so. I think. Um, woodwind instrument player involved. They've introduced this prodigy character mm-hmm. real quick. I don't know. I also think you should get better seats if your girlfriend is playing in first chair, but that's neither here nor there. He was like <laughs> in the second tier of that kid. But um, what were they? Because she's at the very end, Jan sees. Which um, seemed insane to Charles, me right? where the seats looked. The seats looked to me like they were very far back. It seemed mm-hmm. very improbable to me that you'd be able to pick him out. But so maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. So, but what is your theory? Tell me, since I don't really have a cohesive theory, I just have the beginnings of theories. I didn't get a chance to piece it all together. It's funny if you actually listen to my recap, there's one moment where I would start talking and then I like stop. And, <laughs> and, I'm, like, and then I'm like, oh, wait a second. I just realized something that might be... <laughs> Because <laughs> I was just working it out, like literally had just watched yeah. the episode. And uh, and what I said was, I uh, mentioned exactly what you said. I'm like, it kind of looks like a cat toy. And that's when I kind of got stopped <laughs> in my assessment. Because right, I was thinking, thinking about the cat guy and the stuffed cat in the freezer and like yeah, the stuffed cat, dead ex- cat in the freezer. And- exactly. And that's definitely important. They even put it in the previously on uh, to, to draw us, our attention back to that. So I was thinking, ex- okay, so you have a bassoonist who's in a relationship with Tim Kono. So someone's in one of the bassoonists are in that room, right? Is his lover. There's this bassoon cleaning tool that looks like a cat toy. The cat is in the apartment. Sometimes the cat is poisoned by playing Uh with the, so someone has poisoned the bassoon cleaning to kill the bassoonist, which one of the bassoonists are trying to be murdered. And then Tim Kono is incidentally, accidentally killed. And then the suicide is a cover up. Wait, why does someone want to kill a bassoon player? For the first chair? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that would be some real murder she wrote stuff, but maybe. <laughs> it is very murder she wrote, you're right. And it seems a little it seems very petty for a murder case. <laughs> I mean, but- yeah. But there's got to be something to the fact that, you know, she just lost her first chair, right? So, and that's my theory is like, was theoretically scenario one, Jan uh, Jan is killing the prodigy to maintain her seat. Scenario two, somebody, it could be the boyfriend, could be the the, uh, bassoonist herself, this prodigy is trying to kill Jan to get the, the seat, maybe. But wasn't that loss just temporary for that one performance or was it permanent? I thought it was like a showcase for that girl for just the one performance. 
I, could be I don't honest. know. Jan seems upset about this situation. She seems more upset about this if it was just going to be yeah, someone who's time. sitting in as a, theoretically, if you have like a, a, a prodigy, this young woman who's got this at a very early age, gets this uh, position and she's just there as a guest star, you could almost be like, oh, flattered by it or like, oh, have a great, uh, I, right. I, she plays it off as if she's losing that seat, right? Which she obviously takes a lot of pride in. So that's how I'm reading it. So right. maybe- I, I wouldn't know. I haven't ruled that out. So I understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think most people that use poison statistically are women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think whoever it is, is a woman. Um, do you think she poisoned her pizza rolls and gave him some pizza rolls? Maybe. Well, that's what's so weird about it is that I think that the mur- if if my theory is you know and I don't even have a theory yet <laughs> if the the things I just it's said the beginning did of my occur, theory exactly yeah. if these events did occur that I think Tim he's not the one who's going to be polishing the bassoon or maybe he is maybe he maintains the uh, <laughs> this sounds like an innuendo at this point <laughs> he's maintaining <laughs> he's maintaining her instrument <laughs> no but Tim could have been collateral damage right he yes, was that's, not that's my assumption my assumption is that's collateral damage. Uh, another scenario I had is the young bassoonist is in a relationship with Tim Kono, maybe is in the building to be closer to Jan, perhaps lace this uh, implement uh, and then deliver it to Jan in some way or, or, or have it given to her that uh, Tim Kono maybe, you know, helping her maintain uh, the bassoon or something, right, is just involved there. Uh, he stumbles upon it. He gets poisoned. The cat gets poisoned inadvertently. She comes home, finds this scene, and tries to make it look like a suicide uh, to cover up her track, her herself, right? Her, her own. Um, but in other words, that it wasn't that someone put the bassoon cleaner in the house to poison her, but that she was preparing it for Jan and basically never delivered it because all of these other events uh, occurred, right? Mm-hmm. Potentially. That's the only thing that kind of makes logical sense to me. I mean, it's a stretch, <laughs> admittedly, but I mean, I think it's got, I think it's going to be in that ballpark, right? I mean, this is the parts we, this is what we have to play with at this point, right? Unless um, somehow this engagement ring, they made sure to reference that this episode. Um, maybe that has something to do with this. Tim Kona was going to ask the bassoon player to marry him, and so then maybe the it's the boyfriend. boyfriend. I, I don't know. So maybe it's so okay. That's actually an interesting angle. So maybe it's this boyfriend who sat next to Charles, who's getting right. Tim Kono out of the way, um, and then maybe kind of weak though to introduce a new character that turns out to be the murderer this late in the game. Correct. I mean, well, either way, they're going to be introduced late in the game, right? If these people are involved in any way, and once again, it goes back to the previous episode where they said it had to be a two-person job, right? Because someone has to pull the fire alarm and someone has to be in the apartment, right? Well, Oscar, but that was before they knew he was poisoned or did they already know he was poisoned oscar heard the gunshot though right see so they poisoned him tried to cover it up right 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 okay, yeah, so e- even if I they had accident- to refresh my memory there yeah. for a sec got it got it got so it. even if they accidentally poisoned him the cover-up happened during the fire alarm right so someone right, still has right, to pull right. the fire yeah, alarm and then oscar happens to hear the, the the gunshot so even if it's just a cover-up there's still two people involved right so yes mm-hmm. i had just forgotten about that right gotcha. so yeah so it could be this couple that's quite a conspiracy to take first chair to us. <laughs> what, what, uh, no one would have expected that to be at the beginning of the season that that is the uh, motive. They knew he had millions of dollars worth of jewelry in his apartment. And they didn't take to- it. They didn't take it. 
they just didn't get around to it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's the first chair is the motive. Very strange though, if that's the that's case. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just trying to make sense of these of this evidence. It's good. The rest, of, if, if that is the case, thank God the rest of the show was so entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> good point, actually. Now that I'm talking it out, of, like if that really is the payoff here after all this. <laughs> But you know what? There's still something yet to come. I mean, remember, we have like a whole SWAT team that's coming in and uh, we have and Mabel. Selena Gomez is going to find. Over a body, right? So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. covered in, her, in blood, someone's blood and uh, saying it's not what it looks like. So right. there is yet more to come. And I don't know how that fits into any of these other things that have happened. So, so there's just one episode left. 35 minutes. That's all we got oh, left. Okay. So there's got a lot of craziness is going to happen in the next episode when yeah. all this comes together. So so I think we have part of the picture with this evidence, but maybe there's yet some more to come. I mean, there definitely is more to come because that whole SWAT situation is obviously <laughs> that's not a, you don't need a SWAT team to grab a bassoonist and a teenager. <laughs> from, probably not, I assume. So the other thing I covered in this was I talked about Dexter since we're going to be covering Dexter New Blood um, yes. next month. And I basically went through the whole trajectory, my personal opinion of the trajectory of the you know disastrous series <laughs> that Dexter went mm-hmm. on after a um, you know great start, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a good start. Yeah. So uh, and and uh, as part of that, I I actually spent a lot of time talking about season one of the show, and then really just a few minutes on the rest of the the, the shows. So w- one thing I had is, what's your general impression of like you know where did you kind of start losing your way with Dexter? And also one thing I did was rank the seasons from my favorite to, to least favorite. And uh, and I can refresh your memory by the way. The first season, obviously, you know that's the Ice Truck Killer season, yeah. and, and directly based on the first book in the Dexter series. None of the other series have anything to do really with the books, but the first book, the first season are like one to one almost. The second season was the one where he goes into Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, he Lila is his sponsor. Dokes is very close to discovering. Wow, her. that was already Lila in season two. Season hmm. two, yeah, right. Not a fan. Okay. S- mm-hmm. Season three is. Jimmy Smith's. Remember that one? Yes. I, I, you know, wow, this is not how I remembered it. I totally believe you. This is just not how I remembered it. Yeah. I think um, that I, I literally, as I was going through this in the recap, I was like, I'm like now on season six, I'm like, I bet you didn't even remember there were these many seasons. Did you? Yeah. And I'm also kind of like, wow, why did I keep watching it? Because I didn't love the Lila season and <laughs> exactly. I didn't love the Jimmy Smith season. So it's interesting that I committed to this the way that I did. TV was different back then. We didn't yes. have so many options. True. So go True. ahead. <laughs> so just to re- continue to refresh at you, season four is John Lithgow. Loved it. Yes. Good season, right? That's what saves the show. Yep, yes. Exactly. <laughs> season five is Lumen, Julia Stiles. Uh, didn't love it. <laughs> season six is the Apocalypse Killer. You love everyone's favorite season. Is that the, the one with the imaginary guy? Yes. With uh, uh, worst Edward, of all. Edward James, almost. Yes. Probably the worst of them all. You're right. Worst of all. It ends. That season ends with... Um, Jennifer Carpenter, his sister, uh, uh, discovering, right? Uh, discovering him in the uh, church, right? And uh, then season seven is like a, a, a mess. It's like, uh, it's all her and him. And she's like, I can't see you. And then she's protecting him and blah, blah, blah. And that season ends. I mean, that season is a total mess. I don't even remember what the underlying conspiracy was. But the big payoff there is um, that in the end that um, De La Guerta uh, finds him killing the serial killer and she's been trying to clear Dokes's name and she's finally mm-hmm. one smart person in the Miami police department, figuring out 
that mm-hmm. he, he's the killer. And she shows up and Jennifer Carpenter shows up too. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kills. Or La Guerta. La, La Guerta, right, right. I said her name wrong. La Guerta kills her and protects. Uh, uh, because she's in love with him. Yes. Oh my God. I forgot about the fact she's in love How with him. Oh my God. Oh. oh, and the big bad for this season, by the way, that I forgot was what's her name? Uh, I can't remember her name, but she was like the Black Widow killer who ends up running, like Dexter ends up giving her, she becomes the adoptive mother of Dexter's kid at the end of this whole thing. Yes. Time. Who was that? Was it a famous actress? She's pretty well known. She's been on a bunch of shows. She was like on um, Chuck and stuff like that. So she was, she's a recognizable actress. She's not, um, you know, right, not, not as famous as some of these other Hollywood people that have been in the other seasons. And uh, yeah, and then season eight is like is uh, Deborah's downward spiral, which shocks me about season eight wasn't even how badly paced it was and that she he was going after this killer that was like, what do they call him the brain surgeon he was like taking pieces of people's brains out. And there was this uh, doctor who had known Dexter when he and his dad when he was younger, that whole thing. I have no recollection of this. I know I, I watched it. But I, I have no- in my recap, I literally said I had to read the Wikipedia article to refresh my memory because I didn't remember it either. But uh, it's all very forgettable. It's all terrible. What still I do remember from the whole entire season was it was still like very procedural, even with two or three episodes to go. Every week he was trying to track another killer. And uh, it was still very much in a procedural mode. And I'm like, there's two, there's two episodes left in the whole show. <laughs> this is where we're at and then of course they try to wrap up everything in that last episode which was a disaster like he's like ends up you know driving his boat into uh with the deborah's yeah. body yeah. into uh yeah. into bad special effects and then he uh uh you know uh somehow Wait, deborah's body deb ended up dead yeah deb dies and he puts her on the boat how did deb die deb died she like died of uh um she dies in the hospital of and what i i don't remember if it was she was attacked by the killer She's definitely dead because a massive blood clot after being shot in season eight. Yeah, she's definitely dead. And then what I was going to say is here's the minor spoiler. It's in the trailer that Dexter in the new season no longer has his dad as his like angel on the shoulder. It has he's Deb is the angel on the shoulder. (sighs) Jennifer Carpenter back. Not sure if you want to know that. (laughs) Well, listen, my only excuse here is that television was different back then. (laughs) We didn't have the amount of options that we have right now because I would have told you this is one of my favorite shows of all time. And listening to you run through those seasons, <laughs> I liked two of those seasons. So right. I don't know, man. I, don't I know. agree with you. I, I had three seasons. What I said was, my opinion was, I thought season one was really good, obviously almost perfect, my opinion. And yes. then season two, I thought it was, uh, I really liked the whole metaphor of this, uh, you know, addiction to, you know, a drug addiction to but this. You also liked yeah. the Lila character. We won't get into why. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I did not. So, yeah, <laughs> it, but, but regardless of that, I do say that the, uh, that I do agree, I should say that the end of that second season was, um, was very weak. Right. But I thought until it got to the end, the whole cat and mouse with him and dokes and the whole metaphor of his addiction was interesting. Right. Uh, his relationship and, with jokes was fantastic. That yeah. was one of the best things about the whole series for sure. Mm-hmm. Season three, uh, with Jimmy Smith's <laughs> is absolutely terrible. You could skip it. Like literally of all the seasons, you can skip that entire season. Like, and you could just start with season four and you have literally lost nothing from the show so you could just <laughs> entirely skip that season and then uh, yeah and then season four is a, a big rebound uh, you know the whole thing with john lifka was excellent and, fantastic uh, yeah. poor rita yeah poor rita exactly yeah and then once again i know you don't like the lumen season i actually thought that see in the middle 
I thought the whole plot about these, you know, this weird fraternity slash cult of guys who are abducting and abusing these women is just weird. Like it doesn't, and, and, and the end of that, the whole revenge that she goes on, that revenge spree is preposterous. But I thought the middle, when they have this relationship, you know, he's uh, obviously in a bad place, having lost, um, uh, having lost Rita. And then Julia Stiles' character has seen him for what he is, but she sees him like as a vigilante rather than knowing that he's really like a thrill killer. So it's almost like he gets to see himself in a different way. I like that. I thought that was interesting to, you know, that, but like the middle of the season, just that middle part was pretty good and everything around it was pretty bad. And, And then, like you were saying, like, then it's just like, it just gets worse and worse. Uh, so yeah, like three, you, you say two good seasons. I had three good seasons <laughs> and five bad seasons. And, yeah. we, and we somehow watched that whole thing. I don't, I don't understand why. <laughs> I don't, that's what I'm saying. That's my only excuse is that it's changed so much. We just didn't have the amount of choices that seemed good in comparison to our other choices. Yeah, I guess it, at least it was different, right? So. Right. Yeah. And now, uh, how do you feel? Do you think they're going to be able to reclaim the show in any way? With How many episodes is it? You know? I think it's 10. I think it's, it's 10. It's like a limited thing. Um, yeah. I think they can. And I think that there was such dissatisfaction with the finale that hopefully they are inspired to kind of go back to their roots somehow. Um, I think, though, they've they've made a big mess with this Deb being in love with Dexter situation. Like I would rather her not be a part of this. Right. I mean, I, my guess is that they're just going to like disregard that that ever happened, but still, and I was never super fond of Deb to begin with. I didn't, I I could take or leave her. So to me, like that's not an added benefit to have her there. (laughs) Um, Even had it not ended the way it did. I think it has the potential to be really great. You know, I do think, there is a thing about American TV and commercialism where people just try and keep things going as yeah. long as they can, because why not take the money? And I think there's a lot of benefit to having like a finite amount yeah. of time to tell a story that will bring out like a strong story with a lot of great elements instead of just trying to like string people along to yeah. fill episodes to fill the season. Mm-hmm. So I ha- I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I had the exact same feedback basically i was saying that i uh i you know i think that there's definitely potential there was a lot of potential that first season and exactly what you said if they're thinking about this in a very finite way there's no reason to not make like one individual really good season of of tv Uh, you know kind of what you were describing about shows kind of going on for too long and i actually said it was like a showtime problem because i feel this is a general assessment that like hbo usually keeps a show around if it's good right they kind of go from season to season and once again, it's a general reputation, but I, it's not always the case. But as opposed to, I just feel this is always a problem with Showtime, whether it was Homeland or Dexter or Shameless or Weeds or um, uh, The Affair, that they all have good first seasons. And then they're like, we need 10 more like that. And I'm like, none of these stories. I seasons. will say The Affair, in my opinion, that is one of my all time favorite shows. The Affair, in my opinion, only had one really bad season, but that season was really, really bad. (laughs) But I think they did a lot of really interesting things in The Affair that kept me watching. I think we quit on season three. And uh, and for me, season one was excellent. Season two, I wasn't a huge fan of. And then I think season three, we were just like, okay, we can't do this anymore. Homeland was similar where 
Wow. <laughs> just, you know, wow. I can't remember what number it was. I'd be fair that I hated it. It is the, the season with Brendan Fraser, if that makes any sense. Yes, but, that, um, yeah, I watched a little bit of that one and Kim didn't watch yeah, any of it. You can miss it entirely. You yeah, can miss yeah. it entirely. I, I really, really love The Affair and I don't mm -hmm. think it gets enough credit for um, the depth of the story it told and also like the mechanisms it used to tell that story. I think we're, we're really interesting. Okay, last topic is, I know you finished season one of succession and did you have any general feedback on that so i'm really... speaking of speaking of uh prestige shows that are probably yeah, yeah. so far very much actually building on their success so far so far so yeah i'm really enjoying it as like a very nuanced subtle type of story without like any big i mean yes arguably the takeover a company is dramatic but not in the way that like billions tries to be dramatic mm -hmm. if you... yeah i've heard that Right. There's not like like the premise is similar in that, like, let's watch a lot of wealthy people do a lot of wealthy people things um, and the problems that come with that. But I feel like Billions tries to do a lot of like um, things for dramatic impact, like a lot of plot devices that have a lot of drama built into them. Whereas here it's like more like a slow burn kind of thing. Um, and I feel like it it captures the idea. Listen, I'm not in that class by any means, but the small interactions I've had with people of that, um, not even 1%, right? Like 1% of 1%. Um, exactly, exactly. The small interactions I've had with those people, it rings very true to me, the way they are portrayed and the things that they do and the way that they think. I feel like it's a very accurate depiction. So. Um, it's very interesting in that like nobody is likable. So it's just a matter of like, <laughs> right. who are you rooting for and why out of this unlikable bunch? Right. Um, right. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm interested to see where the story goes. I think you touched on something that I think is very true, which is I think that's where the sympathy comes in. These people individually are, there's no reason to be sympathetic towards them. But like you mentioned, because this isn't playing on, on such a big canvas, it's not trying to be over the top. It's actually oftentimes based on specific storylines are based on actual things that happen, like these embarrassing near miss corporate takeovers. And because it's so detailed, like based on actual journalism, it's not fantastical enough to be preposterous. And it's nuanced enough where you're always going to, in some way, at some lesser scale, have encountered these type of circumstances before or work with people in this kind of environment, right? Of course, everything is very heightened because simultaneously much bigger where it's like hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes, but it also doesn't matter to them because they're playing with billions, right? So it's like, a, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, it's simultaneously big stakes and low stakes. And the, the main stakes in the end is these interpersonal attacks, right? This, right. this uh, family dynamic, these these kind of long seated <laughs> hatreds and and uh, and wounds from, from childhood. And that, once again, makes it very relatable, I think. Yeah, and there the are some places, right, where even though it's an unlikable person, they're on the right side of the argument. Right, exactly. Like in yeah. that way, it reminded me a little bit of, and you know I'm not a big fan of White Lotus. We've never mm -hmm. really discussed it, but yeah. I'm just eh about it. <laughs> but in White Lotus, like I was very much struggling with that one character who paid for the honeymoon suite and he's not getting the honeymoon yeah. suite. Yeah. Like I get it. I, he's right. He right. might be an unlikable guy, but you should get the hotel room that you booked and paid for. Right. You know? There's another example of most of the characters there are not likable, right? Similarly. Yeah. But um, but like you said, the and this is a, a Mike White, the, the writer of the show, who's a, the solo writer, by the way. Normally you would write with a 
a writer's room. I think this is a, a problem the show had is that this literally was something that he wrote. HBO needed a show to produce during COVID. And normally this is something that you would write the scripts and then go to a writer's room and then you rewrite everything. And he wrote the scripts and they shot them. Right? So it's like, he was like, he's like a one man show. Right. And yeah. I think that's a limitation because it's too much of his perspective. Uh, of the show, but simultaneously, uh, what, what I like about him as a brand, you'll be like, I don't like this person in this circumstance, but they are correct, and vice versa. This is the person I want to be on this person's side, but they're wrong. They're not. They're the wrong person. They're on the wrong side. Of this argument, right? I understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree. But I didn't feel the way those characters were developed was enough for me. Um, and that might be just because it was only six episodes or whatever, yeah. you know, they, there's only a limited amount of time to do that. Whereas, you know, Succession, I just watched 10 episodes, right, right. in the first right. season. But I just felt like there was a lot more development of what these characters are going through that, um, and I, I, I don't know, I, I felt like it was a very uh, judgmental view, yes. White Lotus. Mm -hmm. and like, I agree. <laughs> you know, um, which like, listen, I, I'm not one of them and I find them unlikable too, but I still felt it was a little harsh. <laughs> yeah. that, that That is my, uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 agree. I, I both like the show and I like what it was trying to do. And I agree with all the limitations you said. I think that, you know, this limited amount of time they had yeah. is, and, and like you mentioned, um, succession is, especially with season two is incredibly rich the way that these characters are written. It's, it's almost, and it's not almost like it's, this is the case. This is legitimately the case. They literally have every single one of the actors has someone in the writer writer's room who is their writer. So they're writing right. each one of these individual <laughs> characters. So it's a huge, diverse body of people who are writing yeah. the show collaboratively. And uh, and it shows, you know, how rich the show is. And obviously, White Lotus was like one guy writing a bunch of scripts and HBO going like, we need something to put out in the summer. We're shooting this tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I think and I think it actually came out really well. But I feel as I watch it, even not without that context, I feel those limitations. And like you said, I feel like it's judgmental and it's very much from one single point of view and it doesn't have that same richness that you need. Yeah, like I think they there. even had the opportunity with like, um, right, regardless of how wealthy you are or not, like good health is something that you can never put a price on, right? right? And that's something that, you know, Knockwood can come for all of us at any time, a health issue. Right, right. And like they even had the opportunity to do that here, right? At the beginning in White Lotus with mm -hmm. um, yeah. the Steve, Steve Zahn, mm -hmm. the Steve Zahn character. And they were like, no, he's fine. So, yeah. like, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, like that would have added a whole other dimension to that trip for them that like, you know, what they're coming home to, what they're going to have to deal with. Like that could have added so much depth to that trip, but, right. um, but they didn't. <laughs> I think that's actually a really good point with that character in general. That could have been like a really obnoxious person who could have had some kind of revelation, or at least you could have had some kind of sympathy for him. But they dismissed that kind of so early on that then uh, the tone of the show really seems to be just making fun of him. And he is in, I mean, almost everybody on the show is obnoxious, right? So he's yet, yet another yeah. obnoxious character, yeah. but it doesn't seem to give him enough sympathy for something that legitimately, like, I mean, he really thought he could have been seriously sick, right? Like you give him a little sympathy for that. Yeah, and that's so, yeah. something that like, whether you have $10 million or you have a thousand dollars, that fear, right? Of your mortality and all of that, like that's the same for all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, so yeah, I, I actually I agree. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I do agree. But I mean, it's good to circle it back because we, we've been uh, circling around that. We have. <laughs> from, uh, from multiple times now. So we kind of <laughs> discussed it a little bit. And uh, and I actually agree with all those limitations of the show. And But yet I thought that there was enough interesting there that I uh, found it compelling uh, at the end. I didn't really find the resolution that 
that good. Although I had some, the, the last episode did have some funny moments, but um, you know, I didn't really like the way it all tied together. And once again, I felt that the way they left her, the, the, the newlywed, the wife, I really felt that the way they left her at the end, there could have been a little shred of light there and they really had a very cynical ending to the show. So I, you know, which was a cynical show to be honest. So that's the definition of it for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But anyway, okay. So we will be, uh, oh yeah. Sunday, uh, you have to watch the new premiere of well, you know, this doesn't have to be on Sunday in case you're still catching up, but Sunday for everybody else, <laughs> Sunday is the premiere of Succession season three. What time? Nine, nine or 10. I forget. I but, hope it's uh, at nine. <laughs> <laughs> it might be 10. I think that uh, Mayor was at 10. Oh, and uh, so it might be 10 o'clock. But um, yeah, I'll check uh, check your local listings, as they say, um, or, or your app. <laughs> That's which, yes. which is where I watch it on my apps. Same, same. <laughs> but unfortunately, with HBO, like you know, only murders in the building, literally, uh, because it's even though it's on Hulu FX, it's only available streaming. So I open my app first thing in the morning. If I get up early enough, I can just watch it while I brush my teeth. But with the HBO shows, because it's still on at its specific time, it's not available to stream until it shows up on television. So you have to wait right. till the middle of the night before it's available. Right. Which of course makes production much more difficult. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> and I have another struggle, which is not your struggle, but the third season of You will be premiering oh, um, on Friday. So I have a lot of demands on my time right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can put off You though, because it's always going to be there. The whole thing will be streaming. You can't binge the whole thing in one shot, but maybe you can. But if you're going to binge a whole season of a show, you have to binge the second season of Succession first. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair. It's fair. And then you could always watch you at your yeah. own leisure after that. That's fair. Because you're going week to week. Right? Succession is week to week. Uh, and yes. uh, Only Murders in the Building wraps up on Tuesday, so you don't have to watch that anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Cool. Thanks for coming in and helping me out here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. There will be another Horror Corner. Continue to see more horror and more Halloween-themed episodes. And I was trying to come up with a theme for uh, this week, and I had to look no further than Halloween itself. Halloween Kills, the sequel to the direct sequel to the most recent Halloween movie from 2019, is coming out this very weekend and is also going to be available on Peacock to watch at home. So I'll be watching that. I will give you my impressions. I don't think I'm going to like it that much, completely honest. I'm, I want I want to desperately be surprised by this. I didn't love the last one. I thought it was okay. And I don't know if they're going to be able to extend this story in any way that I find interesting. But I really, really do want to be proven wrong. The review has been mixed but positive, And oftentimes when reviews are mixed, I actually end up finding it more interesting than when they're excessively positive. So which the first, the previous uh, sequel or previous reboot, I should say, sequel, what is that called? The sequel, sidequel, uh, was um, very well received. And I really thought it was kind of meh. So maybe this kind of mixed reaction might be more interesting to me than this, uh, the previous. So that'll be available. And I'll also be talking about the franchise, that crazy, crazy Halloween franchise. If you haven't seen all those movies, I haven't seen them all either, but I'll definitely give you the rundown on some of the really, really crazy, crazy movie um, sequels that are in there. You won't believe some of these things if you haven't watched them yourself. And like I mentioned, we will have probably three episodes next week. We'll have one that talks about succession up until this point and a review of the new season premiere, plus the end of Only Murders in the Building series finale, which I hope that Sona can participate with. We can kind of finish finish that journey together. And in next week's Horror Corner, most likely, I was talking about anthologies, that I just found out Disney is going to have a horror anthology. And I think I'm going to have a 
Disney anthology conversation where we discuss Disney's horror anthology and we discuss What If, their Marvel anthology, and we discuss Star Wars Visions, which is their Star Wars anime anthology. So I think that will be an interesting episode. So that's that'll be next week. This week, once again, Halloween Kills and the Halloween franchise. <laughs>